me, it started out in 2016. I can see right now she's going to be my helper. Bless. Do you want them to play that song first or later? They can play that song right now. Okay. Can you, um, Jeremy Camp, there's a Jeremy Camp song that has really been helpful to us through our journey. And so I asked Pastor to um, get it ready to play for us. You see it, right, Clayton? Okay. Can you go ahead and play it now? All right. Uh, back in... 2016 was when I got sick. Uh, I had a job at that time at Hy-Vee at Nightstock. And I got off of work that day, and it was about 7 a.m., and I was going down Agency Road heading home, and a car drove out, and they T-boned me right at uh, Walgreens Entrance. And I had my seatbelt on, and uh, it hit me so hard, it knocked my vehicle into the next lane, and uh, they had to take me out to uh, Great River by ambulance. And uh, they got me out there, and they said I had to stay overnight. I was dizzy and off balance. And... Uh, the next day, they sent me home and said, everything's fine, you know, go home and heal. And all that week, I felt off. Something was wrong. And uh, I went back to the ER, and they ran more tests. And uh, said, we can't find anything. And I walked out the door, and I collapsed on the floor. And they came out and said, you can't be laying on the floor like this. <laughs> I said, I just fell. You know, I, I had no idea why. And uh, that day I was seeing my family doctor, and uh, they took me up to his office, and uh, he ran some tests, ran some labs, and said, my white count was 27,000. And they admitted me. And uh, they didn't know what they were treating me for. And I was in there probably four days. And finally, they said, we've got to send you up to Iowa was a city and we've got to send you now and I go up there and they sent all my records up there and I'm they sent me up by ambulance and uh, they pulled me into the ER up there and uh, they started drawing on my leg and I said what are you drawing on me for and they said that's where we have to cut you and we have to cut you now and at that point, they r r rushed me into surgery, and I lost uh, 
two and a half inches by three and a half inches in my right groin area. So it turned out that he had something called necrotizing fasciitis. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but it's like a flesh-eating bacteria. And um, there's only like between 700 and 1,200 cases each year in the United States, so it's pretty rare. Um, and one in three people who contract it actually die from it. So um, at first, when his white count was elevated, they had no idea what was going on. They knew he had some sort of infection, but they couldn't figure out where it was at. And then they finally... Um, discovered that he had an infection in his groin, and the only way to treat it is to cut out the tissue because they can treat it with antibiotics all they want, but it cuts off the blood supply to that area of your body, and so the antibiotics never get to it because all the blood never gets to that area, and the only way to get it out is to cut it out. So, so after I came out of surgery... They had me in a butterfly type of mode. I had these scissors and clamps and everything in a certain way to where I couldn't move. And uh, I had this nurse named Matt, Matt Ashby. And uh, he was my angel, and I told him this because... He took care of me every day he was there and he even came in on his day off to see me. And I've known Matt for years. Uh, he was one of my Royal Rangers down here in Burlington. And uh, he was worried, I was worried. And uh, a couple days after I came out of a surgery, they said they had to have some skin. And they had to do a skin graft. And they asked if I wanted off off of a cadaver or myself. And I didn't really know what was going to happen. And I said, just take it off me. And uh, they had to take my left leg and they had to take off the top layer of skin. And they compared it to taking a cheese gr a crater and taking off that top layer. And uh, I got out of surgery, and they had my leg just wrapped in like a cheesecloth, and it was just really uh, bloody and soupy. And I just, I didn't know how much more I could take. And at that point, I just, I was wanting to give up because I was going through so much and I didn't know what else was going to happen. And so I healed. I was there for three and a half weeks and uh, they sent me home and I had to stay in my bed for about four more weeks. Um, he was in the burn unit up in Iowa City um, because the kind of wound that he had, they basically treat it kind of like a burn. So um, each day they had to take him back to this, um, what did they call that? That room where they did the washing and 
or this is big shower room basically where they put you on a steel bed and, and wash it out and then um, the skin graft um, actually was the part that took the longest to heal um, and hurt the most because when they cut the area out where all the infection was, they take the nerves and things with them. But when you do the skin graft, that is lots of nerve pain. And so he had to have like three big strips taken off of his other leg. So um, it was quite the recovery process, even once he got released from the hospital. Um, we had to go multiple times and get it checked and things like that. And I had to learn how to dress his wounds at home. Um, so that everything would stay sterile and he wouldn't get any more infections. And so um, even though he had had diabetes before he got diagnosed with this situation, um, we feel like that's kind of the start of when lots of other things happened is this necrotizing fasciitis. So I healed and I thought I was in the clear. And then I got negatitian fasciitis back again in my finger. And they had to go and they had to lance it open and clean it out and do an IND there. And uh, after that, uh, I, it, it took four or five weeks for it to heal. And then... I got it healed, and then I had some other complications on my hands through infections. I don't do well on infections. The diabetes really makes it hard for his body to fight the infections that he gets, and it makes it hard for his body to heal. So um, he's had a total of, I counted up on his medical record, I pulled open his, like, patient portal, and he's had 25 um, incision and drainage procedures over the last five years where they've had to go in and, and cut different things open and clean them out, a lot of them on his hands. Um, and he ended up having a couple amputations. He's had two partial finger amputations, and he's lost tendons in two of his fingers to infection. Um, he also had a really bad infection in his arm and they had to cut his arm open, and they said that that was some necrotizing fasciitis as well. Um, and he's come home multiple times on a wound vac and us having to do IV antibiotics at home. So um, it's been a lot for our family over the last basically five years, going through all of those situations. And um, he's had, you know, come home with the pick line where we had to do IV antibiotics and things. Um, so the infections have finally sort of slowed down, I feel like, and the last one he had was he had to have a finger amputated. When was that? About a year ago, maybe? I think about a year ago. Um, but it was the right decision because the finger wasn't healing. So, um, and it healed up the, where, they, where they amputated it, it healed up really well, and so, um, it wasn't his thumb or anything, so he can still do everything that he needs to do. So um, he had has also had um, chronic kidney disease, which I think a lot of you know. Um, 
and at first we didn't even, they don't, they don't always tell you that these things are going on until you like, you look at your record and it says like, oh, he has CKD stage three. And I'm thinking, what is that? So I'm looking it up, you know, and find out. And I said, Bill, did they tell you you have chronic kidney disease? And he's like, no, they didn't tell me that. So I wish that they would give you a little bit more heads up sometimes, the doctors, because there are things that you could do with your diet and exercise and things that you could do to kind of slow some of that down. But we didn't really have a lot of warning um, until they start saying, oh, I think you need to go see a nephrologist, which is the kidney doctor. Um, and once they started following it, him, then we knew that you know we needed to make some adjustments. But um, I know I remember when we went to the kidney doctor and he said, it's really not if you have to go on dialysis, it's a matter of when you have to go on dialysis. And um, I know that Bill was really, really upset um, and took that really hard. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Uh, I do dialysis uh, three days a week. I do it on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for three and three-quarter hours. And uh, it really gets to me as, as far as my as far as my mental health to see your blood going out of your body and then back in and uh, you sit there and watch TV but it's it's a lot to think about and there's days to where I get depressed and uh, I know that Jesus is there I know he loves me, and uh, but there's just some days my mind wanders, and uh, I know I need dialysis, and until I until I find a kidney, uh, that's what I'll be doing for uh, about twelve hours a week, and. Uh, I've done it now for a year and a half, and they say to get a, a toner on the list, it could take five to seven years. They say that if you find a live donor, it's a lot faster, and uh, there's a, a test that you can take. You start out answering questions, and then uh, they have you go to the U of I to take some some labs and stuff and uh, check you all out. But uh, that's what they do. Uh, and uh, God's uh, taken me through everything else, and he's going to take me through this. And... Uh, I'll see him, I'll see him through it. But uh, that's, that's dialysis. I sit in a reclining heating chair. It's, it's not that comfortable, really. <laughs> and uh, I have a TV there. We all have a TV. They do 13 people at a time. And I've seen people code 
in dialysis. I've seen their heart stop. I've seen them have to call in paramedics. Uh, it's just a lot to a lot to deal with, and uh, my mind starts to wander. You know that could be me. You know, because you not only have to watch what you eat, but you can't drink a lot because it floods your system. And I'm I'm only a allowed to have X amount of, of fluids a day and if you go over that it starts to build up in your legs and your calves and then it's hard to walk and uh, that's why I haven't got, got to go to the cane totally yet because some days I'm, I'm overloaded on fluids so I've got to get to dialysis So um, one of the things I forgot to share, or do you want to share about what happened when we came home from the Iowa City and we were at Walmart? I can share about that. Okay. Um, I forgot to share about after he had this necrotizing fasciitis, um, when he got released from the hospital, we um, he wanted to get out, and so he rode on the little cart, you know, at Walmart um, for us to get a few groceries. And um, there were these people who came up to us and said, um, we just feel like we should pray for you. And, um, and then they wanted to give us $10. <laughs> and um, we were really stressed out because he was in the hospital for all of that time. And at the time that he had all of that going on, he said he had mentioned he was working um, at Hy-Vee overnight but he also had just opened, um, well, maybe maybe a year ago or so, he had opened his own business and had started doing the fencing um, contracting. And so he didn't have a job where um, he could get, you know, sick pay or any kind of, you know, short-term or long-term disability because he was self-employed. And so um, there was not really any way for us to to make any money other than from my job. And of my, I take I do the health insurance through my job, and so that was all taken care of, and we weren't super worried about that. But, you know, you have co-pays and deductibles and all of those things, and three weeks in the hospital and, you know, wound care and all of that stuff really adds up in a hurry. And so um, some people at my work took up a collection for us, and they ended up giving us, I think, like over $700 that they had collected from people at our job, and, or at my job. And then um, we were attending First Assembly of God Church at the time that this all happened, and they took up a collection for us too. And, and so we received lots of blessings also during that time, even though it felt really overwhelming and we were kind of stressed out, of course. And, um, and Bill's parents have always, they're here today with us sitting in the back, but um, they've always been a really big blessing to us and helping us out with the kids and, and things like that. So um, they were obviously a big help in taking care of the children during that time. Um, I stayed up at Iowa City with him for, I don't know, I think about a week, right? Um, and I was able to get a sub and, you know, miss work and stuff so that I could be with him. But 
that day that we went to Walmart where it was just like, not that those other things weren't a blessing, of course they were, and we were so thankful that people thought of us, but to have God speak to some random strangers and say, go up to those people, like those are the people I want you to talk to, and ask if they could pray with us. They had no idea that we had just spent three weeks, you know, dealing with all of this stuff. And um, for them to come up and and be directed by God to talk to us at Walmart, of all the people that are there all the time, um, and ask if they could pray with us. Um, I remember that I, I think I posted on Facebook about it after it happened, but I mean, I just stood there and cried in the produce section as they were praying for us because I thought, sometimes you wonder, you know, God, are you here? Do you hear me? Do you see us? And to me, that was confirmation that I'm here and I see you and I see what you're going through and I know, I know it and I love you so much and, you know, it just seemed to them like a simple act, right? These people at Walmart seemed like, oh, God's telling you, go talk to them and pray for them, but you never know if God tells you to do something like that, what kind of impact that might have on those people because you don't know what they're going through and that, that was... It spoke to me a lot. What about? I just, uh, when it happened, they had some kids that just laid hands on us and prayed. And uh, we always think it about doing it for others, but I, I just, at that time, I didn't ever expect it. And uh, God shows us in those small things that he's there. So um, he spoke a little about dialysis, but he started dialysis in May of 2020. So like he said, it's been about a year and a half that he's been on dialysis. Um, It's really hard on his body. Like he's super tired and he has to sleep a lot. So when he comes home from dialysis, sometimes he sleeps the whole rest of the day. Um, And so that's really hard um, on him because he feels like he can't do a lot of stuff at home. Um, Shortly after he went on dialysis, we um, were able to apply for disability for him. We kept our business open for a little bit with the people that were working for us, but... um, it got to just be a lot um, because he was so he was so sick, you know, and I was working full time and trying to manage a lot of the business things because Bill wasn't able to anymore. Um, and we started having some difficulties with some of our employees. Um, so we decided to close the business and um, applied for disability and um, We're so thankful that he was granted that. Um, Partly, I think, because he's on dialysis, they um, take that into account. But we've been blessed that we have been taken care of financially. Um, Even when he couldn't work for a little bit, like I said, we had some income coming in from him from the people who were working for us. And then um, once that wasn't there anymore, we did have... It was kind of, it was during COVID um, when this stuff started to happen and like COVID, because of COVID, they were sending out these, you know, 
stimulus checks and some of those sorts of things, which for a small business, for him, that was really helpful because um, some of that time he couldn't work because of COVID, like no one was buying anything, people didn't want someone at their house to do work and things like that. And so, um, I don't know, it's weird to say that COVID was a blessing in a way for us, but it kind of was because it helped financially for us to get through those months where we probably wouldn't have had a lot of income. Um, and then when once those things sort of filtered out or whatever, then um, we were able to get disability for him. And so, um, and we had started a renovation on our house, like an addition on our house before he got really sick with the, um, with the chronic kidney disease. And um, we were able to finish that up still and you know, not lose our house or anything um, because God really just took care of us financially through all of that. Um, and then he broke his knee. <laughs> so like, it seems like kind of it's always, sometimes I feel like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I don't know if that makes any sense, but um, there's always, things get a little better and then sometimes something else happens and um, I don't know how to explain that part of this like um, sometimes I wonder why why do things happen to so many things happen to us and um, why does God I, I don't know if he allows bad things to happen I know we all have those questions when we're going through a really difficult time but um, I think sometimes it's because he's using us as an example to others to see that, you know, they're making it, they're they're managing, and even though they've gone through a lot of struggles, um, and maybe we'll never know why um, different things happen. But when he broke his knee, then he had to be in a wheelchair, which all of you guys witnessed all of that. So, um, do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, when I uh, lost the ability to to uh, walk and take care of myself, I lost it. I'll be honest. Uh, I was mad at the world. Uh, I was I, I was even mad at God and I told God. I said, God, I've I've gone through so much. I said, you know, he, he tells us he won't take us through more than we can handle. He was close. I mean, I I had gone through so many surgeries and and everything else, and I'm like, I can't, I can't do another thing. But God said I could, and uh, it affected our marriage. Uh, it affected my relationship with the kids. Because uh, they wanted to go do stuff, and I, I couldn't. I was just there in my chair. And uh, it's amazing what the weather does when you, you're in a wheelchair. Like, the simple things, like going to a store. Well, you've got to get the wheelchair out. you got to get in it, and it's raining. Then you got rain falling on you, and I'm like going through puddles, going through cracks in the sidewalk. It just, it jars you. And I'm like, 
You never noticed all of this stuff before. Like, you know, I'm going to walk in the rain. Okay. And it just, I didn't do well with it. And uh, I reached out to my pastor and some other friends that uh, I wasn't well, you know, upstairs. I just, I wasn't. And they walked me through it, and uh, I got a counselor, and uh, everything's back to normal. Uh, I had my knee surgery. We were battling on that for about 11 months. I spent 11 months in a wheelchair. And, of course, your body, it relaxes, and you lose those muscles. And uh, we couldn't find a doctor that wanted to do the knee because he wanted me to do the kidney first. And the kidney doctors wanted me to do the knee first. And I said, would you guys please just talk to each other? Well, finally, I, they was going to do the knee. I had a doctor to do it. And he got a job in Houston, Texas, and he was leaving. Then he transferred it to his partner, who uh, he said he would do it, but they had to have my uh, A1C down to, to seven or below. I said, no problem. But they didn't tell me that until it was getting close. So I ate nothing but carrots every night, Pastor. No chocolate, no snacks, just carrots. I felt like a rabbit. But my A1C came down, and it was like at 6'6", six, 6'4", six, six, something like that, before my surgery. And uh, I was excited that I was going to get a new knee. But then they say, you know, we're really scared about infection. Because if infection goes in that knee, then we have to go in and clean it out. And if we can't clean it out, we have to amputate. So what's my mind start thinking about? I'm going to lose my leg. <laughs> you know, I started thinking about that. I'm going, I can't get infection. I can't get infection. I'm telling myself all of this. So finally I started praying about it. Praying that I wouldn't get infection. And I was up here at the altar and it was on a Sunday and God told me I heard a voice that said I was not alone. I was not alone. And that's all I needed to hear. It's like sometimes we ask God for a voice or a sign or something, and I heard that. And there was nobody around me. And uh, I had the surgery, and everything went well. I'm healing well, but now I've got to work on balance and strength 
because I lost a lot of that through the process. But it's slowly coming back. I do therapy three days a week, and uh, it's getting there. You want to try to talk just a little bit about our foster care stuff? Yep. Okay, so um, during all of that, of course, we, we've we uh, been foster parents. We wasn't doing enough. No. <laughs> um, well, we became foster parents back in 2013. Um, originally, it was because we um, really wanted to have another child. We had Clayton and Brock, and um, Bill really wanted a girl. I, at first, was like, uh, I think things are fine, you know, but... Um, I finally decided that yes, we would um, look into it. And so we attended some meetings um, to see about becoming foster parents. And we knew some other families who were foster parents, so we talked to them. Um, and so our originally our goal was to adopt through foster care, but um, after we went through the training, our perspective changed a little bit. We heard you know, a lot about how the families really needed um, support and kind of a like a soft place for kids to land while their parents were working things out and um, that kind of touched a nerve for me because um, the family that I grew up in was um, pretty dysfunctional um, my my parents divorced when I was pretty young but my dad um, my dad was an alcoholic, and so, and he was also pretty abusive, so he would, you know, yell and throw things and scream, and um, it didn't really hit me very often, but um, he hit my brothers a lot, um, and so I grew up in that, in that environment with them, and then my mom was um, with this other person who, she never married him, but he was an alcoholic too. She seemed to have the gift of choosing the greatest people to get in relationships with. But um, when I think about, when I thought, I heard all the stories of these um, other kids who really needed a place to go, um, it made me think about my family and how when I was younger, part of the reason I didn't tell anybody what was going on at our house is because I was afraid that we would get taken from our parents. And, you know, you might think, well, wouldn't that be a good thing if all of that is going on? Not if you don't know where you're going, right? You don't know if it's worse than where you're at, how the people are going to treat you, if you're going to get separated from your siblings. Um, it was a real fear for, for me and um, I was the oldest in my family, so I always felt kind of guilty because when I was 18, I moved out, um, and there were still things happening at my house, and I, you know, I asked myself, maybe I should have done something or said something to somebody at that point, because then I was an adult, but I was still scared, you know, about where my brothers would go and what would happen to them, and... Um, so when we went through our training, and, and I really was able to relate that to, to my life, um, we knew that it was something that we really felt called at that point to do. And um, Bill's always saying that, you know, God tells us to care for the widows and the orphans. And there's a couple of verses in the Bible where it talks about that. Um, in Psalms 82, 
um, verse 3 and 4. Clayton will put it up there. Um, he says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Um, rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And, you know, God's asking us to care for those people. And um, so kind of between my personal experience and, and us feeling like God really was calling us, we decided to do foster care. Do you want to say anything about that? Yeah, uh, prior to foster care, uh, I had a job at the auditorium, and some people take home cats and dogs. I would take home people. That's true. He's not joking. And I found a homeless family that were staying in their van, and I invited them out to my property, and we set them up a tent and ran them out power for a fan and stuff, and they stayed on our property for about three weeks. And uh, I found another young man. He was downtown eating out of the trash. And I told myself, I, I can't do that. You know, I can't allow him to eat out of a trash can like that. And so I took him some food and some clothes, and he and I had got to talking. And uh, before the night was over, he uh, wound up at home in my basement. And uh, I've, I, I've always had a heart for people that's, you know, that we're all equal. And I would never want to have to eat, eat out of a trash can. I would, I would like someone to help me. And uh, I had to be the one to help him. And uh, we got him a place of his own to stay after a while. We signed him up for SSI and he, uh, he wound up moving, but uh, he got established anyway. And uh, that's when we started doing foster care. I, I stopped bringing people home <laughs> and uh, started taking kids. I, I thought I probably shouldn't be bringing strangers home having a family now. So uh, we started doing foster care. And I see those kids and, and taking me back to doing youth, you know, seeing the youth every week and how they would come. And they all have a story. And I wanted to help them in their story. And uh, that's, that's still a goal of mine, to, to reach out and to still help youth. Uh, I'll never quit. I'll never quit. But, yeah. Before we were licensed, we had several other people live with us too, not just some of these homeless people that Bill brought home, but which at first was a little scary, to be honest. Um, but it all worked out okay. Um, and 
when, when the couple that was living in their van stayed at our house, that was when I found out we had Clayton already, because do you remember that, Billie Jean? That was when I found out that I was pregnant with Brock. So um, I was a little crabby <laughs> about things, and I remember Billie Jean said, are you sure that you're not pregnant? And I was like, I can't be, but then I really actually was. So um, that explained the crabbiness, but I just thought it was because these people were at my house and <laughs> all of that. Um, but we also had several teenagers that stayed with us for different reasons or another. Like we had a family that were having struggles with one of their kids that they asked us if we could take him for a while. And two of my siblings have lived with us at, actually three of my siblings have lived with us at different times. And so um, I think we've just always really had a heart for people who, who have a need. Um, but, you know, I think that God placed that in our hearts, you know, placed that desire to help others. And Bill has always had such a big heart, sometimes more than me. Um, and, but I remember I came up with like this whole plan for like a homeless shelter and, you know, classes you could offer to help people get out of that. And, um, and he just laughed at me. He was like, it's just because you don't want me to bring them home anymore. But that wasn't it. I just, you know, I just thought there's got to be a way to help these people. And so when we went into foster care, um, it felt like that was our, our way to help. That's and why we have a seven bedroom house. We do. Um, but Addie was our very first placement, um, our daughter Addie, and um, we didn't know at the time that she was going to become our daughter, of course, because after going through our classes, we, you know, had changed our perspective about, because we really originally took the classes because we wanted to adopt, but um, realized that we wanted to be part of the help in getting kids back to their parents. And so we had no idea that, that we were going to get to adopt Addie. But she was only eight months old when we adopted her. And she's hiding her head right now. But she was 19 days old when she got placed at our house. She was just this tiny little thing. Um, and usually when they called us, we had been only licensed since January. And they called us in April for Addie. Um, they, I think they had called us for a couple other placements and we had said no. You can say no if you feel like what is happening or what the situation is with the kiddo is more than you can handle. Um, usually Bill and I would check with each other before we accepted a placement, but um, they called me and said, would you take this two-week-old um, baby? And I said yes, she without checking with Bill. She didn't check. <laughs> So then I just called him and I said, hey, they called us for a two-week-old baby and I said yes. And he was like, okay. okay. Now, <laughs> now picture this. She said okay to a baby mm -hmm. and we have no crib. Nothing. Nothing for a baby. We, we have, have nothing. nothing for a baby. So I get off of work that night and we go shopping. <laughs> I had to run to Walmart and buy a crib. Um, <laughs> it all worked out okay. Um, but it was our very first placement, and we, um, we loved her so much. And Bill's parents got really attached to her, too. Um, I know some people say, well, I couldn't do foster care because the kids would leave and we're too attached. I hear that a lot. Um, and, you know, in the case with Addie, that probably was true. But we've had lots of other kiddos. Um, not that we don't become attached to them in one way or another, but um, some, of the, some of the kiddos bring a lot of stress to your house um, because they've been through a lot, and it's not, it's not their fault, you know. 
but they've been through a lot and it bring, can bring a lot, a lot of stress. And um, we've had 14 full-time placements since 2013 and um, at least six respite placements. I was trying to count those up last night, but you know, when they're just there with you a short time for respite, you don't always remember. Um, but some of the behaviors that we've had have been really difficult to manage. And sometimes you have to, you get them at your house and then you find out that this is not gonna work, um, which is really hard because you don't wanna cause more trauma in a kiddo's life. But um, a couple times we have had to call and, and they call it giving a 10 day notice. And you call and you say, listen, we can't do this anymore. Um, and then they try to find another place for them to go, which is hard. It's hard for you to say you can't do it. Um, it's hard for the kids. Um, but I hope that we've had a positive impact on a lot of the kiddos that we've had in our home and in our life. Um, one of the hardest things about foster care is when you go through the training, they say that it's not if you will get investigated by DHS, but it's when. And um, we've actually had to go undergo investigation three different times in the last eight years um, because kids say stuff, you know, accuse you of things or whatever. And those times have been really stressful um, for our family and for our own children. Um, some of the behaviors of the other kids have been really stressful. They throw things or break things or call them names or, you know, and our kids have endured a lot through it. But at the same time, I hope that they see and have the heart of God and see, like, why we're doing what we're doing. Clayton's staring at me, so I don't know if that's true. Um, but I, I think that they have turned out to be really great kids, and, um, and I think that they know why we do what we do. Um, and right now we're going to just plan to take respite only because we've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, we're not planning on taking any full-time placements right now um, after Diesel got adopted. But, um, and he was supposed to be respite only <laughs> at first. They called us and said, would you do emergency respite for the weekend only? And it was just for a weekend. That's what it was supposed to be, just a weekend. But he turned out he's with us forever. It's like the longest weekend of our lives. We keep joking about that. Um, but but he and Addie are both such blessings to our family, and we feel like they are where they belong. And um, and I think it's good for us too. You know, I feel like sometimes people say, "Oh, you know, foster parents are are so great, and they do all of these great things," but um, I don't know that it's that so much. I just think God placed it on our hearts and that's why we do it. And we get a lot out of it too. You know, your heart breaks for the kids and for what they're going through. And um, we've had, like I said, some really difficult situations. Um, kids that stole from us, ran away repeatedly. Um, kids that push you away because they don't know how to make a connection with people because they've never really had a chance to make a connection with somebody that was meaningful. And no matter how hard you try, they just can't, can't accept your love and your care. And so those situations have been hard for us. Um, you wanna say anything? 
So through it all. It's been a good ride. And we've got a lot more to go and do. But uh, through all this, you know, God, God showed me that he heals us in ways that we don't always know he's healing us. And uh, I, don't, I don't say I wish I was dead anymore. I don't say that. I don't say I hate my wife. I tell her, and she probably gets tired of hearing it, I always tell her, I love you, honey. I love you. And before she would say, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I do wish I wasn't sick so much. And right now I, I feel pretty good. Uh, the holidays are coming, so dialysis are changing. So today after church, I've got to go and do dialysis. But if, if there's one thing that you could pray for is that I'm not so tired all the time. Uh, they just say that that's part of dialysis. Some people are tired and some people aren't, but I just, every time, it, it they say it's like running a marathon. And uh, I've ran a lot of marathons. And, uh, but yeah. Sorry, we're talking a little long. I'd like I'm just... to thank Pastor for inviting us to share our story and Diana. I just want to share just a couple Bible verses that have really helped us during our journey um, because we've learned a lot about ourselves and about each other. Um, and it's definitely been tough, but we know that we can handle whatever God throws at us, even though there's been days, lots of days probably. Like I remember when we were going through a particular situation um, with one of the investigations that I mentioned, um, they actually, during that investigation, Diesel was with us and they removed him from our home. And um, we weren't sure if they were gonna let him come back. And he was gone for about a month. And um, we knew that we hadn't done anything wrong, but they have to do their due diligence, you know. And that was super, super hard. Um, I even had kind of like a panic attack where I had to go to the hospital and they had to give me some anxiety medicine and things because I really, really struggled with that situation. Um, and But God brought us through it. And so adopting Diesel was so sweet. I mean, that day I, I just wanted to cry some of the time because I just felt like we came so close to losing him forever, you know. And I knew he wasn't going to get to go back to his parents. And so because he had lived with us for so long, really, that was what was best for him was to get to stay with us. Um, and so it was, it was really hard to go through that. Um, but God brought us through. And that song that we played, um, I listened to that song a lot during that time and said, you know, like, I don't understand. I don't understand that, that part of it. And I know that God's with us. And 
So, Clayton, do you want to just put up the verse, uh, Philippians 4.13, as one of Bill's kind of favorite life verses, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and that is always one that he leans on. Do you want to say anything more about that? No. And then two of my favorite verses are Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which I know you guys have probably all heard all of these anyway, but um, I lean on this one a lot. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And Because I always am trying to understand things. <laughs> um, and sometimes we don't understand and we're not going to. Um, and then also Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding regard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus so we just lean on those and listen to worship music and we know that God's going to be with us through this so wow and you just thought it was Bill and Tina <laughs> isn't that amazing things I even learned. So um, let's just pray. Father, we thank you again for this day and the love that you have for us. And we thank you for what you've done in Bill and Tina and their families. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to pour out your spirit upon them, give them everything that they have need of. Father, we ask you to touch Bill's body and bring complete healing and restoration there. We thank you for what you've already done, even through surgeries, Father. But, Lord, we ask that you would bring complete healing. We thank you that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, he has been healed. And, Father, we stand in agreement with that. And, Lord, we ask that uh, you would continue to cause Bill to become stronger and stronger, even through the dialysis days, Father. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. All right. Hopefully we'll see you this Saturday. Don't forget to sign up for it, and we'll see you hopefully Monday night.